We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Welcome to another episode of Healing Stories. Today we have Dr. Pam Gaborny with us. Dr. Gaborny, thank you for being here. Could you introduce yourself? So I'm Pamela Gaborny. I've been practicing palliative medicine since I came to Mercy 10 years ago next month. So uh, my background is family medicine. I decided to uh, subspecialize in in palliative medicine. Subspecialty in palliative medicine. uh, for, for those who might not know what palliative medicine is, what, what exactly does that mean? So, uh, palliative medicine is a, uh, is a relatively new specialty. The focus is to support patients who are going through serious illness. A lot of people think it's the same as hospice, which is actually not true. Hospice is part of palliative medicine. Um, if you look at it, it's really a philosophy of care. Um, trying to uh, join in with patients who are seriously ill. Um, I came across an article recently that says it's not a it's not a separate specialty in itself, but rather it should be looked at as um, part of healthcare or better care, not an alternative, but it's how we could care better for patients, regardless of their age and their illness. Some people say that you go through life and you don't pay attention to your death, and then it obviously becomes a question. And at the beginning of your life, when you hear a knock at the door, you say, oh, I'll go run and I'll, I'll find that person, I'll open up the door. And then when you get to the end of life or closer to old age, you kind of say, oh, forget it, I'll, not the door again, you know, the knocking. Are you aware of uh, how in medicine you have been able to help people with that door knock, that sense that uh, it's time to call them home? Yeah, very much so. It's an interesting concept, you know, when we look at end-of-life care because uh, when I journey with patients, a lot of times I realize that it's how they live their lives it's, it, that impacts the way they handle the end of their lives. Um, I talked about forgiveness pain yes. at the end of life. I, I see that a lot regrets, um, lots of conflicts, and it really manifests at the end of life as restlessness, delirium, uncontrolled pain, um, as opposed to, you know, a person that has lived a full life, uh, very much uh, in harmony with, with family and loved ones, and at peace. Uh, and you could see that at the end of life, it's a, a, a more peaceful journey. So, uh, going back to your comment about, uh, you know, how it reflects uh, its awareness, um, it's it's more of for me not just a uh, a reflection of of patients' lives, but also for me for myself, it's it helps me live a better life, knowing that. You know, you could journey through life better if you live your life 
daily, you know, the way it's supposed to be. Living a daily life is uh, complex in the world of a physician. And how do you live a daily life of balance, of harmony, of peace? Uh, what are some ways that you have found, uh, and I can see you laughing just in the midst of this, you know, I know you have the smile that is quite contagious as you go through the, the hospital, and, and I've caught it. I've caught your smile, too. And uh, what is the way that you stay balanced and in harmony? I would believe it's something that you learn by experience, and I think also it's the way you're brought up, and perhaps your values, your belief system. Uh, I was born in a third world country, uh, so resilience is is part of it. I mean, and coming to the United States and going through training in a different environment. Um, so definitely that helps. And then, of course, my Catholic faith has uh, a lot to say to what I actually do, you know, as a, as a physician. Uh, I believe that as physicians, we are, me as a physician is an instrument of God's healing power. I'm here to, as an instrument to, to help my my fellow human beings. And so um, the other piece is, you know, I, I came straight from training, doing this kind of work. There's no, it's not part of the medical curriculum, how to communicate well with patients, especially patients and families facing, through, facing a serious illness. Uh, well, I would say, look back, and there is some training, but it's a learned skill. Throughout the years, you, you develop it, you hone it, and, and, and with interacting with patients and families. So that's a combination of, you know, experience. And, and you know, you're talking about how I view myself and in this healing profession. To view yourself as an instrument is uh, a humble piece because there at times might not be the control in being an instrument. Could you talk a little bit about how now we're seeing this tremendous change happening in medicine? And is it really that I've lost control as a provider or are there ways that I could view this with some sense that the horizon isn't as bleak as it may seem? Control is, is an interesting word. <laughs> uh, training as a physician, it's just part of our culture to be in control. Uh, and depending on what specialty you're in, I think, I believe, you know, there's different degrees of control. To be in palliative care, you have to have that ability to just let go. Just let go. Uh, and... Um, just, I would often say, let nature take its course. Um, because again, I think that's part of how you can be a good instrument. Um, there's a lot of listening involved. Um, because if you're just talking and talking, you won't hear what actually the other the patient's saying. And it could lead you to a different, totally different place. 
it's interesting that you talk about listening because in the moment as people are dying, uh, have you come to realize that it's not so much what you're saying in that moment as they die as listening for what might be said to you? Is there anything that you have been said to over the years as people die that strikes you today? Oh, there, there's many such experiences, but a lot of times it's just being present, not even saying anything that makes a whole lot of difference for them. Just being there. Um, yeah, again, as physicians, we're trained to give information, give knowledge to, to patients, but a lot of times it's kind of counterintuitive at the end of life and and especially when you break bad news, they don't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> they don't hear you. It's amazing how we document, you know, patient was informed such and such and then when I see them in follow up, they don't remember anything. So at that moment their focus is is different. They don't hear that. We spend most of our lives not uh, being ready to hear the news you're going to die yet you are in that business <laughs> to some extent of letting people know that their time has come what's that like to give that kind of news it's it's often difficult uh, because as a human being it's very hard to tell another human being that your life is short but as you go through it, I think it's the most human thing that you could say to another person when it's in fact the truth. And they end up being very thankful of, you know, what you told them and saying, you're the first physician, you're the first, you know, provider that, that has actually told me what's going on and explained to me what it's going to be like. Because then now I could prepare better, you know, I could prioritize my life. And so a lot of times they're very grateful for that. Does healing occur by you hearing news that you're going to die? <laughs> Good question, Martin. Um, I believe it does. Yeah. It, I believe it does. I think it depends on the person's level of acceptance where they're at in their lives and again it goes back to living in harmony yes with your current life uh persons who are at peace uh, with their situation are very much into it i just talked to a patient today it's like i thought i would have a hard time getting his living will and said i have faith in god he had a cross in his you know hanging in his chest and said if he calls me, if it's my time, it's my time. This question is based upon we spend a lot of time and money trying to get people to not die. And when you're in this moment of being a healer, your healing is listening and listening to what people's next journey is going to be. How do, over the years, how do people get ready for the next journey? once they hear that that news are they thinking about that is that is that a way can we heal for the next journey once we are getting closer to the end of our lives um it's it's highly possible but i think we as physicians as providers 
have a big role to play in that. You know, with modern medicine, as you said, it's all about keeping people live longer. But we as providers, we know that medicine has its limits and we have to have that ability to be honest to our patients and say, you know, it's come to an end and there's only so much that medicine. We spend a lot of time in the ethical and religious directives on the first part of life and all of those nuances and the things that people get pretty um, uh, excited about. And it's the end of life that is just as sacred. And in that seamless garment of life that Cardinal Bernadine talks about and, and the ethic of care, uh, there's so much that Catholicism could teach as well as uh, other faiths about the importance of letting go at the end of life and the dignity at the end of life and uh, how we see that as part of our faith. Uh, mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about walking with people through uh, decision-making at the end of life and, and what that's like? Mm -hmm. um, so what we do in palliative care is really ask the question, what's important to you? What's important to you? What do you value the most? Those are tweetable questions. Yes. <laughs> what are your fears and worries? And so it could open a whole different conversation. Uh -huh. And then uh, once they speak of something concrete, like it's important to me to be at home with my family, and then we start talking about, you know, these are the type of services that would be provided at home. So, so it's really, um, you know, very open-ended conversations because I think that's the only best possible way. If you don't ask those questions, you would never know. Mm. It's fascinating because we know it's all about answering better questions or asking better questions rather than coming up with the best answers. And you sit there in your day trying to ask better questions of people. Uh, rather than getting the answer that uh, you want to hear because <laughs> we're really not able to answer the question of life yeah. if we're not very aware of what is the most important things to us. Yes. I know that you yourself have uh, had a couple patients that stick out to you uh, over the years uh, who have made an impact on you, whose healing story uh, you might share. Uh, I know uh, a couple of them just in terms of being able to do that process of letting go. Is there a patient that, that you want to reflect on today who impacted you in, in that end-of-life kind of process? Yeah, uh, I had this 50-something-year-old uh, uh, patient um, a couple of years ago, I think, and uh, this goes back to the forgiveness pain that I was talking to you about earlier. Um, she was in severe pain, which understandably is from her uh, metastatic cancer. She had mets to the bones. But she was in such high doses of pain medicines and we could not control it. She was very restless and agitated. And so we really started talking to her about what's going on, what her fears are. And she ended up telling us that all she really wanted was to talk to her son who was in prison. And so we facilitated that, and after she was able to talk to him on the phone, they had lots of conflicts, you know, and um, she was able to say, I'm sorry, and I love you, and I forgive you. 
um, the kind of closure, we were able to decrease the amount of pain medicine she was, she was taking. Um, so she was more at peace. Um, but I, I really credit the, the social worker and the chaplain for that. It takes a, a interdisciplinary team to be able to take care of those aspects. Um, um, so yeah, that's one example. Um, the other patient that I could think of was a, uh, a tiny baby that uh, we knew had uh, would not make it. She had a congenital defect and um, perinatal palliative care is also part of what we do and uh, mom wanted, um, you know, for her to have the dignity even though we know that life is going to be short. So she decided not to, for the baby not to go through resuscitation, being the ventilator and instead spend the precious time, you know, making memories, taking lots of pictures. We made a special garment for her. Uh, so those preparations, so um, that was significant for me. I mean, we were able to um, have that sense of peace for the mom and the entire family, for, even for just a short period of time. Really two stories of bookends, right? Yes. At, at the end of life, this reconciliation pain Mm -hmm. is really a part of the chapters of anyone's healing story. Mm -hmm. uh, this isn't unique to one person. I mean, it's dramatic in terms of the prison, but uh, getting people to have some sense of reconciliation pain, uh, you're saying that that really frees people up to live a more harmonious life, isn't it? Yes, yes, very much so. And even on the early life, the life that is so precious. Um, I know from your own story that you have been in those moments in your own personal life, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, what you've gone through as a, as a young, as a mom mm -hmm. and having a young life there. And mm -hmm. I know that is really your personal healing story. Could you talk about that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I had placenta previa with my third pregnancy. My first two pregnancies were unsuccessful. I had miscarriages. So that was uh, during the time when uh, I was very busy. I was new here at Mercy, doing rounds, and at 28 weeks, I bled while at work. And uh, I was telling myself, you know, in retrospect, I was still working for a reason because I was here in the hospital and had C-section in a few minutes. So uh, we spent eight weeks in the NICU and thankfully, you know, my, my daughter is healthy. Um, so it's just, um, it was very scary, but uh, knowing that I was in the right place and uh, you know, co-workers were amazing, took care of us, so that was my healing story. Uh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful healing story. In all three of the stories, how do you describe God? What's God doing in all of those moments, in those three stories? He is ever-present, no matter where we are in our lives, no matter what we do. Uh, I myself tend to forget that at times, so I have to remind myself that that he's here, and again, I'm just an instrument. So thank you, Dr. Gaborni, teaching us how to be an instrument, how to have a harmonious life, 
and then also being able to ask the most important questions. Thank, Thank you, you, Martin. You're welcome. Thank you. Join us next time for our healing stories. Thank you.